Good morning, Warren Alliance Church. It is so good to be with you today. We have a God of hope, and Easter shows us that. In fact, Easter turned everything on its head. Even simple words like empty, that for us mean disappointment, maybe fear, maybe something that we are lacking. He took it. And he gave us something so much more. That's what we're celebrating today. We are celebrating an empty tomb. An empty tomb that brings us hope. Welcome to Warren Alliance Church. It is so good to be with you. Whether you are here for the first time or like the thousand and first time, it is so good to be with you. It is so good to worship with you. And I just want to say a special uh, couple of things to you if you are brand new to us. So am I. I'm brand new here. This is my second week. I'm getting to know this church family, and I'm getting to know this region, um, and I'm thrilled. And I just want to give you a couple of things if that's where you're at, because I, I want to give you maybe a little bit of a fast track into getting to know this church. I've gotten to know this church family over the last few months, and there's a couple of very important things that I want you to be aware of that were deal makers for Megan and I and our boys as we determined, is God asking us to come be part of this church family? First thing is this. This is a church family that genuinely loves Jesus and genuinely loves people. That matters. And that, unfortunately, is not a given in every church, but that is present here. So know that. Know that this is a family. Megan and I have been welcomed into this family. And if you decide, this is something I want to try out maybe a little bit more, you're going to be welcomed too. The second thing that I want to make sure that you hear from me is this. God is up to something good here. God is up to something very good. And just like the first thing I talked about, unfortunately, that's maybe too rare in churches today. But God is up to something good, and we get to be a part of moving his mission forward together in this region for his sake. So, if you're brand new, so am I. My name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I would love to get to know you, and I would love to walk into this next season of ministry here with you. And today is Easter. Today is the most special of days, because Easter is what changed everything. In fact, the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders and authors, he said, without Easter, without a resurrection, our faith is useless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count. But there's a, there's a resurrection that happened. Something changed everything. Because today there is a tomb in Jerusalem. It's empty. But it was briefly occupied for about three days or so, back about 2,000 years ago, by a man named Jesus. His body was buried there. Jesus was a Jewish man who came to the Jewish people at a very, in one sense, unique time, but at the same time was a time that maybe you and I might be familiar with. Let me tell you a little about it. It was a time full of societal angst. It was a time where people were frustrated with how life was. It was a time when people were like, man, 
Something's got to give. Things could be different. Maybe, just maybe, life could be different. Does that ring a bell? That's the way our world can be sometimes. You see, the Jewish people at the time, they were under the rule and authority of the Roman Empire. And the Romans had a very specific way that they wanted things done. And if you stepped out of line on that, there were severe consequences very quickly. So they weren't living in freedom. And they, were, they had been living this way for generations. And they got to the point where they, as a society, were saying, Maybe, just maybe, life could be different. But just like in our world, uh, right here, right now, everybody had a different idea of what that would look like. So there were some that were exploring and saying, man, we just have to give the Romans everything they want. We just have to appease them. And if we, if we do that, maybe they'll leave us alone. Maybe, maybe we then can have life the way that we would like it, maybe just a little bit. Maybe, just maybe, life could be different. Then there were others that said, no, that's not the way we have to go. We have to instead stand up for our rights. We have to work within the Roman system, and we have to advocate for ourselves and say, no, this is the way of life that we want. We want to live for God, and we want to live in a particular way. That's the way that it is for us that maybe something could be different. Still others said, no, no, that's not the way. We need to, we need to go off away from the city and, and go off into the countryside and, and just live on our own and worship God on our own and be at peace on our own. And maybe the Romans will leave us alone. And maybe, just maybe, life could be different. And finally, there were others that said, nah, that's not it. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to violently overthrow. We are going to push out the Roman Empire. We are going to to remove them, and then we will be able to live our lives the way that we want to. So if enough of us get together, and enough of us push in, and enough of us make this happen, then maybe, just maybe, life could be different. And it's into that world, and into that mess, and into that angst, which honestly sounds a little like the last few years, doesn't it? I've heard every one of those things, not just in the news, but from friends, from people that I know, people that I'm close to. In some ways, it's a very similar moment to what we are experiencing, but maybe multiply it by a factor of 10 or more. That is the world that Jesus stepped into. And Jesus stepped in, and he began to teach and he began to preach, and he began to not only have bold things that he was saying, but he walked boldly too. He started to do things that don't happen every day. He started to feed people when there was no food. He started to heal people where there was sickness. He started to fix relationships where there was brokenness. And it began to be this thing that people in the community went, hey, did you know there's this guy do you know there's this guy named Jesus? He like, my uncle couldn't walk, and he's walking today. I'm going to go check him out. You want to come with me? And they went, oh, something's going on here. And this started to happen for about three years, and it began to build in momentum and build in momentum. And 
Before you know it, the whole region knew of this Jesus, this rabbi who preached with authority and with power, but also performed amazing things in their midst to the point where it became Passover, which is a a high point of the Jewish year, where they, they said, we have to go to Jerusalem. So everybody in the region went to Jerusalem to worship together for Passover. And as Jesus and his disciples were going along, wouldn't you know, he did something absolutely that blew people's minds. He raised someone from the dead. And people went nuts. And wouldn't you? I mean, when's the last time? It's not happened. I've never experienced that. I've, I've had the, the honor to, to officiate at funerals before. I've never officiated at a funeral and then three days later walked up and been, hey, wasn't expecting you. That doesn't happen. But it did. And the people, for good reason, they're full of angst. They're excited but frustrated and they're not sure. They don't like the way life is. And there's this man that comes along and maybe, just maybe, life be different. So they go into Jerusalem and they, they are literally worshiping this man. And all of the officials in Jerusalem, all of the teachers of the law, all of the, even the Romans were taking notice and going, this is a problem. The people don't like us already. And this guy's coming in and they're excited about him and they're calling him this thing called a Messiah, which means anointed one, which means a deliverer, someone who's going to rescue God's people. I mean, if you're a, if you're a Roman official or if you are a, a religious leader at the time in the Jewish community, like red flags are going up all over. And so they plotted to kill him. They said, all right, this can't go on. Something's got to change. Something's got to give. Because the status quo needs to continue on. I like the way life is. I don't want what these people want. And so they started to plot. And that plot ultimately was successful. And we celebrated two, three days ago, Good Friday. And on Good Friday, Jesus was, well, this, the, the night before technically, he was arrested. He was put on trial, and on Good Friday, he was tortured and crucified, and he died. And so did everyone's hopes with him. Because no one, no one expected the resurrection. Even though Jesus had been talking about it, he had been explaining it to people for three years. He had been saying, listen, the Son of Man, who was him, is going to come and he is going to, to live and he is ultimately going to die, but on the third day he's going to be raised again. And people were like, well, dead people don't come back to life. So maybe he's talking in figures. Like maybe he's talking about some metaphor. I don't know. But anyway, Jesus ended up dying. And every single one of his followers walked away. None of them expected things to move forward. Every single one of them thought it was over. And there may be, 
just maybe life could be different, was left in the dirt. And they started to go back to, well, maybe this is as good as it's going to get. And then three days later, we pick up the story. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 1, but we're not going to focus on this section too much. It can be found on page 885 in your pew Bible if you want to look at it. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That's a red flag, right? If you are going expecting that the dead stay dead, you're not saying, oh, maybe he rose to life. You're saying, oh, no. They already killed him, but now they're doing something worse. That's what they think. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Easter changes everything. Jesus really rose from the dead. And the amazing reality that we see that affected the whole world, in fact, not only are we, worship, or are we celebrating Easter right here, right now in Warren, Pennsylvania today, people are celebrating Easter on every continent, even Antarctica. They're probably celebrating it indoors, although it looked a little Arctic out there this morning, didn't it? You know, we moved from Minnesota a week and a half ago. We thought we left that. I'm just saying. (laughs) People are celebrating Easter on every continent, in almost every country today. Easter changed everything for everyone. But it also changed everything for you and for me. You see, God did something incredible in Easter when he sent his son to come and live with us and show us a way back to the Father that included his death, burial, and resurrection. That's amazing for all of us, but it's also incredibly intimate and specific to each of us. And that is good news for us today. Because sometimes there's big things in the world and there's stuff going on that we we can't necessarily wrap our heads around and we go, man, that's just too big for me. The Son of God coming and dying and rising again, maybe that's too big for me. No. It is specific to you as well. See, these women, they they found out that Jesus had risen from the dead and they ran and they told Jesus' followers about it. And for some of them, they believed and they got it. And they went, wow, everything has changed. My maybe, just maybe, life could be different is absolutely life can be different. So, some of them got it. 
not every one of them did. In fact, just a little bit later in this passage, starting in verse 13, there are two followers of Jesus that are on a road walking away from Jerusalem. Here's what, the, here's what happens. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Think about the irony of this. They're walking away because they have lost hope, and Jesus walks right up to them and begins to walk with them. And this is what he said. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Which I just find hilarious. Not like he doesn't know. But what's he doing? He's meeting them right where they are at. He's not expecting them to understand it all. He's not expecting them to get the cataclysmic thing that just happened. He's meeting them right there on this road, walking away from where hope was found. They're walking away from it, and instead, he walks right up and he says, Hey, what uh, what are you talking about? That is Jesus. That is an image of who Jesus is, and an image of his heart. Let's keep reading. They stood still, their faces downcast. Other other, uh, translations just say they were sad. Lost my place. It says they were sad. And then one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the thing, the things that have happened there in these days? Again, irony. They're talking to the one that it all happened to. And they're saying, You living under a rock? Like, were you here? He came into the city, and everyone was excited that he was here, and we thought he was coming in to, to kick the Romans out and to initiate a new freedom for us. And then they killed him. Where were you? So here's Jesus' answer. What things? He's playing along with them. What? Well, tell me. Tell me about it. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we have hoped, we had hoped. I think this is probably the most key phrase in this passage for us today. But we had hoped. That he had... He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb 
and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. They heard. They heard that Jesus was alive. And still they were walking away. Why? Because this is a very real account of very real events that took place. And the people that wrote these down didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't mince words. They didn't put it in and say, oh, we got to make ourselves look a little better because, man, I screwed that up. No. They put it down the way it happened. And the way that all of us encounter Jesus isn't always the way that maybe we should. The response, the proper response to the resurrection is, my Lord and my God, you did this for me? Okay. I don't know. I don't understand it all. I mean, there's a lot to, to comprehend, but I mean, if anyone can come, claim they're the Son of God, and that they're going to they're gonna die and rise from the dead, and then they actually pull it off. I don't, I don't understand it all, but I'm with them. I'm with him. I'm on his team. Because there's something special going on with this guy. That's the proper response. That's not the response of these two. So what is Jesus' response to them? He said to them, how foolish are you? Now, that sounds harsh to us. It's like, oh, man, kick them while they're down, Jesus. What are you doing? It's not. I'll get to there in a second. How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? What he's saying is, listen, guys, I I think about it in terms of like talking to my kids. Like you, you want them to get something good, so bad. You want them, you, you know what's good for them, and you know how, how you want them to, to thrive. I know that happens to me and Megan from time to time. Um, rarely. No, it happens a lot. Um, our, our five and, and eight-year-old, our five and eight-year-old boys, they are full of life, all of it, all the time. And there's times when we just want good for them where we know what, what is best, and we were like, hey, this is the way that it would work that would be better. And they're like, thanks, later. And we're like, okay, there you go. We'll, we'll, pick a, we'll pick you back up. We'll pick you back up. We'll wipe you off. We'll, scrape, we'll put a Band-Aid on the bloody knee, and, and we'll help you out. That's the way Jesus is responding to these two. He's responding in that good father kind of way. He's like, oh, guys, I've been talking about this for three years. So what does he do? He doesn't scold them. He doesn't go to them and go, I've been talking about this forever, guys. You think you'd get it by now. I rose from the dead. I got stuff to do. What are you doing? He doesn't do that. Instead, what does he do? He goes, oh, you guys. And then keep reading. What does he say? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
when people didn't respond to Jesus the way that, that maybe they could have and the way that he wanted for them to, he didn't scold them. He didn't walk away from them. He didn't say, I got better things to do. I find it amazing that Jesus, this day, the day he rose from the dead, walked away from Jerusalem to go find these two followers. He didn't have to do that. But he took his time and he lovingly walked with them and he lovingly again shared the greatest news on the planet that God was up to something new that maybe, just maybe, life could be different for them. So he took his time and they got excited because the gospel message is exciting. Hope is exciting. It is worth listening to. And so they go, they're walking along. And then it says this, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. This moment is profound for us. It shows us what it really can be like to live life with God. Sometimes we're walking along and we're walking in step with him. Sometimes we think our hopes are dashed, don't we? Sometimes we thought that something that we were stepping into, whether it's a new job or a new relationship or maybe a, a new house or a new connection of some kind, and we think, oh man, this is going to be the fresh start. This is going to be the new thing. This is going to be the thing that is going to do it for me now. And we think, maybe life can be different. How long does that work? Maybe for a little while. There was a time when Megan and I were in Colorado where we lived before we were in Minnesota, before we came here a week and a half ago when we just got married and we moved out there and we were living uh, at, at seminary where I was going to school and we got our first new-to-us car. It was so fun. It was like, we've arrived. This is great. And it wasn't anything, anything amazing. It was just a simple little four-door thing that got us where we needed to go. But I was excited about it. I was like, oh, man, this... This, now now I'm in, you know, whatever that means. I don't even know. And I would, have you ever with a brand new car, like in the, in the grocery store parking lot, parked really, really far away? That was what I would do. That was what I did. I would park it like way at the end of the line and walk. It's like, I'm getting my steps in today. But I didn't care because I had a new car. I was like, this thing's, this thing's sweet. Wouldn't you know? One day I was like, all right, I'll, I'll park it. I'll park it closer. It's fine. It's been like a week and a half, you know. So I parked nor like in a normal parking spot. Once you know, I walked into the, the grocery store, came back out, and there was a cart on the back bumper, not like just touching it, but like up on the back bumper. And I'm like, 
who did this? So I walk up and I take it off, and wouldn't you know, on the bumper, it looked like, it looked, I felt like it looked like a tiger had come up and been like, you know? I was so mad. I was like, we got to fix this. I went back into the store, and I was like, do you guys have cameras out there? And they're like, dude, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll look at it later. We'll, we'll call you. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I was so frustrated. And wouldn't you know, I never looked at that car the same way again. It was just a regular car now. Just a regular car with some dings and scratches and bumps. Because that's what happens in life when we put things in our life that we think are going to change our lives. They will change it for a little while. They will get us excited for a moment. But sooner or later, somebody's going to ram a card into it. And you're going to be like, man, now I need a new something. Maybe I need a new job. This wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Maybe I need a new relationship. This person was awesome on social media, but now that I meet them face to face, like, hmm. Don't talk like it doesn't happen. <laughs> maybe, maybe, if I, maybe if we get the new house. Oh, wow, this house is a lot of work to take care of. Ugh, jeez. Everything that we put in our lives that we say, maybe this will be the thing that maybe, maybe, maybe will make life different, only will make life different for a little while. And then you're going to need the next thing. Why? Because you and I, we were made in the image of God. I can't even wrap my head around You and I were made in the image of the invisible God. And we are given his spirit in us. And originally, we were designed to walk with him in immediate relationship where he was leading us and we were following. And it was amazing and great. But all of that changed when we said, no, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do this all myself. That's what my five-year-old says. I'm going to do it myself. No, Dad, I'm going to do it myself. But that's what we all do. That's what our ancestors did. And because of that, we inherited something called sin. And sin, depending on your background and your, your personal spiritual you know, walk, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And people throw it around in our society as a weapon. Here's what sin is. Great biblical definition of sin is this. Anything we do against God or against other people, or anything we fail to do that is right for God or for people. And it goes even further. It's not just the things we do, but it's the things that we say and the things that we think. If we do those, if we do those against God or against people, or we fail to do what is right for God or for people, that's sin. The Bible says that separates us from God. And so that relationship that we were designed for, forget it. It doesn't work. It can't happen. Because it's designed to be hand in hand, not us being angry with God and saying, I'm going to do it myself. And when that happened, there was a breaking in this world. And death entered this world. And then Jesus. And then Jesus came. And then Jesus lived a life that you and I couldn't live on our own. 
And then he died on a cross. Because sin requires payment. He paid the price that you and I can't own on our own. But then Easter. Then Easter morning, when they when the women went to embalm his body, they found nobody. No one there. Because he was alive. And the angel said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why? He's alive. Go and find him. And that same Jesus, who had changed the entire world, went to two specific people on a road that were walking away from where hope was found. And he met with them right where they were at. That's what Easter's all about. Easter is about God being so loving that he came to meet you and me right where we are at. Not to leave us there, not to make fun of us, not to beat us up, not to tell us we should have done better, but instead to say, I've got new life for you. New life that you can step into, that you can follow me in, and that you can revel in, that you can love, that you can enjoy to the fullest, and it's the best life possible. That's what Easter's all about. So for some of us here today, we've experienced the thrill of that. We've experienced taking that step into that relationship with Jesus before. That's something that we did maybe decades ago. For some of us here today, though, that's a foreign concept. Like somebody died for me? Yes. His name is Jesus. He loves you more than anyone else possibly loved you. He wants to walk with you. And the way that you walk with him is you start by saying, yes, I'm going to follow you. That's the first step. There's a lot of steps after that. But the first one is committing, making a conscious decision, saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm with you. I need you in my life. And if you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right here, right now. Don't put it off. Don't say, eh, maybe next week. If that's where you're at, if you're like, you know what, I know I need Jesus in my life. I'm going to walk through a prayer here in a minute. I'm going to ask that you pray that prayer along with me. There's nothing magical about the words. There's nothing magical about any prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. and. I'm going to help you talk to him. So I'm going to ask that we all bow our eyes, bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm going to pray. If that's where you're at, pray something like this. Jesus, I recognize what you've done for me. You are willing to come be part of this world. And die for me? Thank you. I step into that relationship with you that you've provided for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you be my leader moving forward? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. If that's you, if that's the first time you've prayed a prayer like that and it meant something to you, first of all, welcome to God's family. It's the most important decision that you could make in this life. Way to go. It's the most important first step that you can take. There's a second step, and I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. For all of us, whether you said yes to Jesus right now or you said yes to Jesus decades ago, Jesus rose from the dead. He is risen. Oh, come on, church. Let's try that again. He is risen. It really happened for you and for me. It is worth our celebration. It is worth us basking in the amazing grace that it is. And so as we go about our day today, let's just thank him. That's all we need to do. The whole thing's free. It cost him everything, and it costs us nothing, and he gives it to us as a gift. Thank him. Thank him for it. And enjoy it. Paul said, he gave us the right to be called children of God. It's not just uh, we got in by the skin of our teeth or by our fingernails. It's we now have the authority to walk in to the throne room of our Heavenly Father and say, hey, Dad, that's amazing. Enjoy it. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, You have done such amazing things for us. You did something that cost you everything, cost us nothing, and gave it to us for free. We praise you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.